Hi, and welcome to DaVita Leadership Insights, a weekly podcast for DaVita teammates who want to become a better leader, both personally and professionally. I'm Doug Miller, a master coach and DaVita University faculty member. And I'm Grace Berman, a senior director with DaVita University. Today, we have two guests on the show to discuss how they practice the art of innovation. We're chatting with Mahesh Krishnan, Group Vice President of Research and Development and a member of the Office of the Chief Medical Officer, and Steve Phillips, Vice President of Strategy and Innovation. And both Steve and Mahesh co-lead the DaVita Venture Group. Welcome, Mahesh and Steve. Thanks. It's great to be here. Thank awesome. you. Awesome. Great to have you on the show. Thank you for both for uh, being on the podcast. And now the two of you partner closely on innovation for DaVita, right? That's correct. Yeah, yep. cool. So could you start by telling us a little bit about what kind of work you do? Yeah. So um, as, as partners on DVG, we're focused on really working with teammates to help them uh, foster innovation. So identify areas where we might have capability gaps or identify areas where we can develop something new and transformational. Oh, very cool. Yeah. Thanks for sharing that context, Steve. Uh, for our listeners and for for Doug and I as well. Yeah. <laughs> now, now let's get into the meat of this episode. I'm so excited to hear your stories on how you've led innovation. It's become such a buzzword that I'd like to first get first start with how do you think of innovation? So um, this time, let's start with you, Mahesh. Great, thank you, Grace. Um, so the way that I think we think of innovation is um, that there's two types. Um, one are small uh, incremental changes. So the other is a big transformational change. Um, incremental innovation could have immediate benefits maybe within the next two to three years. So some of the programs that you see that we're developing um, that could be in the clinic relatively soon. Uh, transformational innovation is much broader and could take three to five years to actually come to a clinic near you. And see, so these are things that could fundamentally change the business. Uh, new ways of doing dialysis, artificial kidneys, slowing down the progression of kidney disease, those sort of things. Um, and we think of both of these two things in a portfolio as we think about innovation. I mean, I, I think that we're looking for, um, especially in transformational innovation, a 10x improvement, right? So if you think about how companies like Netflix have really revolutionized how we watch movies or how Uber or Lyft have really revolutionized how we um, get around, um, that's the sort of transformational innovation that we're looking for. Um, and then there's some, some, some incremental innovation, right? So the fact that, that you don't have to worry about whether your garage door is open because you've got a little button or a little message that comes back to you, that's an example of sort of incremental innovation. And Steve, we've you know, this phrase, uh, innovation is an art and a science. Um, why would you say it's an art? Like, say a little bit more about that. Yeah. So I, I think when when teammates focus on processes here and developing some net new capability, they oftentimes think about it in terms of, here are the six steps I can follow to help me get to a new result. And as we think about innovation, uh, it's it's necessary to get comfortable with a little bit of ambiguity and understanding that we won't know when we take a, an innovation leap what the world will look like exactly in five to 10 years, but we have to get comfortable with the idea that there's something promising here and we need to invest in a few of these promising things, understanding that some of them will likely come to fruition down the road. And we might not know exactly what the, they'll look like, so I would um, think of it more as a, an impressionist painting right, that, that will take shape over time and become more clear than something where you've got perfect clarity. Mm. 
Yeah, that's a the great way to think about it. And I, I was curious, like, so so for for those who aren't as familiar with these types of innovation in the business world, can you relate it back to something that uh, that everybody could probably connect with in their in a person in your personal life and how you think of innovation? It's an interesting story. At uh, at home, we were talking about this. You can imagine how how fun our our conversations are at home, <laughs> but. Uh, we were talking about this with, with our kids, and it was on the heels of a conversation with my nine-year-old about how dirty his genes perpetually are because he's, uh, he's a little messy when he eats, and his, <laughs> his, his food is, is, uh, is falling on them. And, uh, and, and he's not a big fan of washing his jeans because they're his favorite jeans, and he loves to wear them every day. Aww. So we were, we were talking at, at dinner, and I, I teed up this concept, and I said, can, can you guys think of any sort of incremental innovation that we could apply in the home? And they thought about it for a little while, and then, and then my oldest son, my nine-year-old, jumped in, and he said, you know what? I've, I've got an idea. What if, as it relates to my genes, I create these spots on my shelves where I mark how many days I've worn them, and I have a little marker, and I move the genes from one spot to the next that indicates how many days I've worn them, and I know that... After three days, I have to put them in the laundry. So, <laughs> and so. was three days a reasonable time for you and your wife? <laughs> it, uh, it, it, we were comfortable with it. It, <laughs> okay. was, a, it was a pretty massive improvement. So, <laughs> nice. so we, so we, so we, I thought that was great. And I said, Mason, that's that's really insightful. I, that that's a great incremental innovation that could improve sort of how your genes look and feel. And then I sort of threw out, then not expecting much in response, the notion of, can you guys think of any sort of transformational innovation? And n- none of my kids responded immediately. And then all of a sudden, my, my six-year-old jumped in. And he said, Dad, I've, I've got it. See, w- what if whenever we eat, we just take our pants off? <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, you know, and it's, uh, it's amusing and clearly isn't something that, that we would execute on. But what's interesting about it to me is that as you think about transformational innovation, it's important to think about ideas that you know, might not be something that are immediately... Uh, you know, the types of things that you would think about people doing, right? It's, it's outside of the box. And so it's, and it's interesting that you, young kids are, are more inclined to think that way than, than adults who, mm-hmm. are, you know, who, who have processes that they just sort of adhere to. Yeah, I feel like your son just changed the entire game when he suggested take your pants off. Yeah, it's uh, then we, we've joked a lot about whether or not we should pilot that that suggestion <laughs> at, at, at home ever since. I'm gonna think quite twice if I get a a dinner invite. <laughs> awesome. And now, Mahesh, how do you encourage innovation while also providing enough of that reality check, right, to to drive towards a practical solution? Yeah, so I I engage um, folks both internally and externally, um, business leaders, uh, potential companies that we engage with, and and teammates. And and my thought is to always have a conversation, right? I take almost every meeting, um, and I try to listen for good ideas um, from both internal and external sources. Um, And I I ask them about things that they they should be doing in terms of coming to the market and things that they shouldn't be doing. And I I really try to foster a a dialogue and I, I'm really open to those sort of conversations. And, and in those, no idea is bad. Um, but in having those conversations, um, both with internal and external folk, um, having that 
dialogue with someone like us that really understands how to implement ideas at, at a scale that is quite unparalleled in the industry, right, at national scale, that's a really good conversation. It allows the innovator to be really much more intentional in the idea that they're pitching and the value proposition. And I think it really helps us in terms of vetting how um, feasible or reliable or good this idea is to invest in or, or spend the effort to move forward. Yeah. How about you, Steve? How do you encourage innovation? Yeah. I, I mean, I think to build on Mahesh's point, you, you have to engage with a broader community that goes outside of yourself and your own team. And that, that means engaging with other teams around the village to understand different ways they're approaching problems and also to look externally. And you know, I think one interesting story here is that we, we encourage Danny Wetmore, who leads the incubation function for DaVita, to, to do just that. And, and he, he did look externally and built a process around uh, innovation sprints, where he now sits down with other leaders from different business units within DaVita, takes them through really a week-long process to dive into a capability gap that that teammate might be facing or where they see an opportunity to really flesh that out, understand what the, the opportunity could be to, to build a net new business model or to help patients and break that down into steps and ideally get to a pilot where we can begin testing some new model. Awesome. I love this idea of a sprint. And so he does this in one week. And what would it, what do you think it would have taken if, if they hadn't done that in a context of a sprint? Yeah, so, so that's a great question. So the way this used to work at DaVita would be that team leader would try to individually build up a case for why they should get incremental resources. And it's something that previously would have taken potentially six, nine months to test that we can now accomplish in a week. And, and the interesting thing about it is, you know, through these sprints, we sometimes identify new opportunities, but we also fail quickly, which I, I would think is also a big win. So if in the context of a week, you can now come to the conclusion that this is not something we should push on, whereas before it would have taken six to nine months, you know, we are doing things much more quickly and enables us to explore more new and innovative ideas. Awesome. And I'm sure even in those failures, there's tons of learning that then is leveraged in future innovation ideas. That, that's right. There are, there are a number where we have gone through that sprint, realized that the initial idea wasn't the right one, but through that process, uh, ended up exploring some other tangents. Cool. I want to go back to something that you said a little earlier, Steve, about it being um, innovation, kind of being a, a leap of faith where you don't know what the painting is going to look like because you can't really tell the future, especially for those big transformational changes. So how, how would you advise or coach others to know when to take that leap of faith where it's still practical and still also a pretty big leap? Yeah, I think it's important to think about two dimensions. So one, you have to think about the probability of success. And two, you have to think about how big of a transformational impact could this have, right? And if you have the ability to have a significant impact, you have to get comfortable with the fact that this might only have a 20% probability of being successful, but that's still a leap we should take. And that if you make enough bets on things that you know, only have 20% chance of impact, but could be transformational, those are areas that we still should be focused on. So I'd love to drill down into a specific story and uh, hear an example of when you encouraged innovation. What did you do? Um, what was the impact? And um, should we start with you, Mahesh? 
Yeah, um, I think one of the examples that we did was that we had an idea that came up from uh, the field, right, in terms of looking at um, laboratories that we could do for patients. Um, and that was something that the FAs had sort of identified. We had heard about this from various folks. And so we um, encouraged that conversation. We worked with uh, Danny in this case, again, as, as Steve mentioned, to vet out that idea and flesh it out um, and then work through the business case. And, and by doing that in a relatively quick and efficient manner, uh, we were able to make a go, no-go decision on how to proceed. Um, and in this case, we decided um, to go in one direction, but but just that process, that speed, um, and even just the education that that gave in terms of how to develop a new business model and how to move things forward. Um, I think that was hugely valuable, not just for us, but also for the teammates that we engaged. And so we hope that will encourage and seed new ideas that will come back to us in the future. Yeah, that's that's cool. And uh, and I, I love hearing about how this whole process starts because that definitely isn't something that is in my world daily. I don't know about you, Doug. No. no. Yeah. <laughs> so this is this is super cool to hear about. So it sounds like, Mahesh, that with innovation comes some trial and error. And we talked a little bit about that and learning from, from things that didn't work. How did you build the emotional intelligence, um, emotional, sorry, emotional resilience for yourself when you have to shut down a project and uh, maybe after weeks or months of hard work and then to be able to, to say, hey, this isn't working or, or hey, yeah, like let's, let's take a pause on this. How do you, how do you uh, foster that emotional resilience for yourself? Yeah, I mean, this has been an um, area of learning for me. I am um, naturally an optimist in terms of being able to do these things. But, you know, in order to be successful, you have to be um, somewhat relentlessly objective, right? Just to understand that you're looking at the big goal, right? Which is will this succeed or not succeed um, rather than the positive feedback your ego gives you that you're actually moving the ball forward. And so um, it's it's really developing sort of an objective assessment of what the hypothesis is. Like wh what are we trying to prove? What needs to be true for this business to work or not to work? Um, and then really testing that out, right? And, and trying to take an unbiased view of how the, what the data is that comes in to either support your hypothesis in terms of a new business or idea or refute that. Um, and I'll be candid with you, right? This is something that I practice or try to practice every day um, because the natural human tendency is to interpret the data the way you want it to, to lead you to the conclusion that you want. And that's not helpful, both from a resourcing perspective or a, a success perspective. And so, um, it's something I have to constantly check myself on just because my nature is to be more positive um, than negative. Um, but again, there's a certain point where you just have to say, look, all the data tells me that, that everything I thought was true is not true. And then we have to make the tough decision. Either we pivot in a different direction because that's come up in the conversation or we shut it down. And, and just recently I had to do that with a team and it was painful, but it's, it's important as a leader to be objective in your assessment of how good or bad you are at that of yourself. Um, and then also to give kudos back to the team, right? That, that in this case, failure is actually success. The fact that we terminated the project um, and we didn't move forward was the right decision, but still to give kudos and credit to the team that worked really hard to try to get us to where we, to get us to where we are. And so that's, I think, the other part from a leadership perspective. Do you have something to add, yeah, Steve? Yeah, yeah, no, I, and I, I would add that 
it, it, it has a lot to do with the people you surround yourselves with as well. And, you know, Mahesh in particular is, is great at this. And it's, there's certain people who can look at a, an opportunity and poke holes in it and say, these are all the reasons why it won't work. And there's a smaller subset of people who can look at a problem and say, here's, here are four creative solutions that we can explore to solve for that. And, you know, understanding that even after you go through those four, um, there, you know, and, and you prove they don't work, um, to Doug, to your earlier point, being able to identify the five or six thing, learnings from that exploration that could now be applied elsewhere, uh, is, is a fairly unique skill that, you know, people like Mahesh and a lot of the other folks that we've found and worked with in the village have, and that helps bring a lot of resilience and recognizes success from those and recognizing success from those failures. Mm. Yeah, it's interesting hearing you say that. It makes me wonder if just even collecting all of the things people are doing out there in the village that are not working could help inform us as we continue to innovate. So it's just an interesting dynamic at play in terms of how do how do we collectively yeah. learn together? Yeah, it's a it's a great point. And, 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 and it's a little bit of a cultural shift for us, Doug, right? Because we are naturally success oriented, right? And so in the innovation space, especially on some of these transformational innovations, um, a operating metric is, are you failing enough? Because if you're not failing enough, it suggests that you're making fairly certain short-term bets. You're biasing your portfolio towards incremental versus transformation. And so that's actually an operating metric, right? Like, are we failing enough? Which means that we are actually um, going to bat and trying to get really transformational ideas. And we will fail, as Steve points out, you know, in excess of 80% of the time. That's something we need to be comfortable with if we are to be transformational in terms of, of our ability to serve patients with kidney disease. And just to clarify, when you talk about failure, this isn't like, this isn't failure meaning somebody is actually hurt by it or anything like that, right? Oh, of, of course not. This is sort of failure in the context of a pilot or an exploration of new, some new business model or idea. But patient safety is always the top priority. Great. Thank you. <laughs> and, and interestingly, Grace, we actually fail a lot on PowerPoint. PowerPoint. Right? Like we, <laughs> so PowerPoint <laughs> failure does not equal loss of life. Uh, Thank you. <laughs> exactly. We, uh, we, we have a funnel, right? And so we, we do a lot of hypothetical and modeling and, and all these different things. All of that's done on PowerPoint and Excel. And only a very narrow number of those ideas make it all the way down to the funnel where we might actually have a pilot, either with teammates or patients. But by then, those are the few rare ideas that are reasonable enough for us to pursue. And then only a small number of those make it through the other end, which actually transform into programs for the village or products. And so we say we fail 80% of the time. The vast majority of that is still in the PowerPoint high-level funnel stage as opposed into the real world, although it still happens in the real world, but it's much rarer just given the vetting. And, and Doug, building off your question from a minute ago, you know, part of our mandate is to help teammates innovate where they've had struggles in the past. So to your point, one of the things that we did right off the bat was pull together a list of where teammates have hit a wall um, during previous innovation efforts, circle back on some of those and say, to explore how we could have gone through that process somewhat differently to help them be empowered and have us to lean on the next time they want to go to bat for something new and creative. Excellent. Very good. Well, we are at that time in our episode where we ask our guests to share one tip they would ask our listeners to go out and try right away. Um, so Steve, what, what would be your one tip? Yeah, my, my tip would be to look back 
and think about the times where you've struggled over the course of the last year. Think about the, the learnings that you glean from those and try to celebrate them with, with yourself and your team that was part of that journey and realize that from those tough times, there really were some incremental learnings that either were applied or could be applied going forward. Excellent. And Mahesh, what would be your uh, tip for our listeners? My tip is really to come up with a, a hypothesis um, as to what creates value for your innovation. And this is the key, key component, is get out of the building and vet your idea with the real world. Um, it's one thing to have a conversation with yourself or with other teammates uh, in an office or a conference room. It's totally another to go outside and talk to people who've either done something like this or who might benefit from your product or idea. And so there you need to be objective and pursue crediting or discrediting your hypothesis. Um, and remember, think big. Sometimes it's not possible until it's possible. If we didn't have that sort of attitude um, in terms of really trying to transform something 10 times better than what it is today, we wouldn't have Netflix or Amazon or Uber. And so that's sort of the type of transformational innovation that I think will continue to allow us to uh, really live the mission and vision of DeVita. Great. What a great way to end the episode. Thanks so much, uh, Mahesh and Steve, for being on the show today. Thanks for having us. Thank you. That was a neat discussion on innovation, wasn't it, Grace? Sure was. Yeah, super cool. So, um, and I appreciate their tips at the end. Steve's tip was to find learnings from setbacks over the year and to celebrate them with your team. Seems a little counterintuitive, doesn't it, Grace? Yeah, it's, it's and hard to do. It is. It's hard to do. But a great tip. And then Mahesh's challenge... In, uh, to us is to come up with a hypothesis on how your innovation would, imp would provide value and get feedback from the people your innovation would impact. Yeah, great, great tips, Doug. And, and speaking of tips, it's yeah. my turn to follow up on the tip from our last episode with Paige and Jeff on leading virtual teams. How did it go? It went, it went really well. They had great tips. Uh, their tips were to incorporate a fun check-in question just to get to know each other. Um, that's just one example of how you could do that during virtual team meetings. And turn on the video function when you're on a WebEx call. So uh, what, what I ended up doing was this has been something I've been trying to put into practice for a little while now, which is to get all of our teammates on our our. Um, DVU Learning Architect team to be on Jabber. You know Jabber? I do know Jabber. Yeah, so it's like that chat function, yes. instant messenger for the for the old school folks. It's like the new version of AOL Instant Messenger. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> did you just say AOL? I did say AOL Instant Messenger. AOL. You know there are people that don't know what that is. I, I know. I should translate. So it's Jabber now. <laughs> yes. And, <laughs> and so at work we have something that you can get on your computer and you can ask IT for it called Jabber, and it's that instant messaging chat function, and you can do group chats too. And so I've been trying to get us on that every day because sometimes we have people working remotely and we're in different locations or traveling for work, et cetera. So it's just one way that we can connect together and we can connect virtually when we're not all in the office together. And so a way to incentivize folks to get on Jabber is uh, I started posting a daily trivia question. Oh, cool. Yeah. So it's just a fun thing to be able to post and then people will We'll, we'll respond and then we'll post the answer and and there's no prize it's just personal glory you know if you get the answer right and it's actually worked pretty well people are excited about the trivia question and somebody also said oh i'm getting to know you a little bit better grace just by the questions you pick based on what question yeah that's yeah. great i've i think give me a sample fun. question what's a sample question that you've asked recently 
Uh, let's see. One of them was, what is vermophobia? Oh, vermophobia. Vermophobia, yeah. I have no Nothing? idea what that is. Okay. Well, spoiler it? alert for any anyone who wants to look this does did, didn't know the answer to this and didn't want to hear the answer. It is uh, the fear of worms. The fear of worms. Yeah, there were lots of good guesses like fear of vermicelli, fear of rats and other vermins. Vermins. Vermicelli. Yeah. <laughs> but it, it's it's a really fun way to connect. And so thank you, Paige, uh, for that suggestion. Thank you, thank you, Jeff, for your suggestion on WebEx video. That's something I'm also trying to do. And thank you, Grace, for sharing your tip. That's how you put it to use. That's super cool. So, and for all of our other listeners out there, we would love to hear your stories and tips as well. So please check out our show notes and click on the listener mail link to find out more about submitting your stories and tips in writing or through a voice message. And if you haven't yet subscribed to this podcast, please click on that subscribe button so you don't miss any of our episodes. That's right. And uh, last thing for our listeners, Doug, Mm -hmm. if you enjoy these podcasts, please rate us on iTunes or click on the survey link in our show notes so we know how we're doing. See you next week. One for all. And all for one.